Open up, if you would, this morning, please, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We are in part 6 of our Advent series, part 6 of uh, 7. And we, we've been talking about um, Jesus, right? That's Advent. Like Christmas season, you're supposed to talk about Jesus. But we've kind of been doing it from a holistic perspective. And so we talked about how God made mankind upon the earth to image him and to glorify him. And then we talked about how Adam and Eve fell into sin and the, the whole world therefore fell into sin. We talked about how the Old Testament prophecies said that a Savior was coming, that, that there was a Redeemer coming. And then we talked about the angel Gabriel approaching Mary and Joseph and, and declaring to them that they were going to be the parents of the Savior of the world. And then last week we talked about the actual birth of Jesus. And today we're talking about how people received the birth of Jesus. How do they deal with it? How do they handle it? And um, here's what we have on tap today. Our theology today is this. Jesus is the eternal king. Jesus is the eternal king. Our application today is this. We serve or we must serve Christ, the Savior King. And our prayer today is this. God, help us to recognize that Jesus is Savior, King, and God. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about the fact that, at least for me, that there is a, a gap in my thinking about Jesus as God. And, and, and maybe it's how I grew up. Maybe it's just my own fault in study or my own fault in thinking. But, but growing up in church, it's really easy for me to think about Jesus being eternal or Jesus being eternal God. The Bible talks about that a lot. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God in the beginning. All things that were made came through Jesus. He's the maker of all things. So when I think about Genesis 1, for example... I do think about Jesus being there, and I do think about Jesus creating these things. And Colossians 1 says that all of creation is held together by the word of Christ's power, that he holds all things together. And so, like, when we think about Jesus being uh, creator, when we think about him being God, it's kind of, I'll, I'll say it this way, it's easier to look into eternity past before the world was created, before the sun, moon, and stars were created, and say, I believe Jesus lived there. I believe he was there, part of that. And then it's not really hard for us to talk about Jesus in his public ministry. It's not hard for us to talk about Jesus going up to Lazarus' tomb after he'd been dead for four days and having the stone rolled away and speaking into the darkness and telling Lazarus to come back to life. It's not difficult for us to think about Jesus in John chapter 5 and 6, feeding the, the 5,000 people on the hillside. Like, these aren't challenges for us. This isn't, this isn't tough for us to think about Jesus like that. And, of course, it's super easy to think about Jesus as God when we think about him on the cross, crucified for our sins, laid in a tomb and buried, and then raised from the dead in power and glory, uh, and then to think about him as God when he ascends into heaven and one day he's coming back. Like all of those, are, like if you said to me, I, I feel like if we were having a conversation and, and we were talking about the cross and we said, do you believe Jesus is God? We'd go, yeah, it's easy. For whatever reason, and I think maybe it's, I don't know, I've held babies, maybe, I don't know. Like, for whatever reason, like, when you think of Jesus as an infant laying in the manger, it's easy to kind of separate him from his deity in your mind. To, to almost think, and I'm not saying we've done this, and I don't know that I've ever intentionally done this, but to almost say Jesus was God when he made the entire universe, when he made all of creation. He was God when he began his public ministry at 30. But, you know, like from infant to 30, was he? Ah, you know, we just, it's easy to kind of forget in that moment that he's God. It's easy to forget that when the shepherds are gathered around this feeding trough of an animal, probably stuffed with hay or straw, and Jesus laying in the midst of it, that in that moment, he didn't cease to be the creator. 
He didn't stop being the God who was holding everything together, who, who Isaiah says can measure off the universe in the, with the palm of his hand. Like he's still that big and that powerful and that mighty and still that holy in that moment. And sometimes we, we overlook that or at least kind of let it slip into the peripheral or the background of our thinking. And, and we kind of go, oh, can you imagine like Jesus, you know, as a little baby? And we make him like, we make him little instead of really, really big and beautiful and holy and righteous. Like, it, I want us to be deliberate in our thinking about Jesus this time of year, that we continue to see him as God, that we continue to see him as holy, that we continue to see him as righteous creator and savior of mankind. Jesus is the eternal king. In Luke 2, there are two stories I really enjoy. I'm going to begin reading for us in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, the there here is Moses, not Moses, sorry. The there here is Joseph and Mary. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, that is Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb will be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So here's what's going on. Uh, Jesus was born 33 days ago. If you want to know how we know 33 days ago, it's because in the Old Testament, it says that when... Uh, a child is born, a male child is born on the 33rd day. After 33 days, you bring them to make purification before the, uh, for them in the temple. So Mary and, and Joseph are coming to make purification for Jesus. He's 33 days old at this point. And you would make an offering for your child that was born. And the Bible's really clear. Uh, depending on your economic status, you would bring different offerings. And if, and if you were really poor, you would bring a turtle dove or a pigeon. So like the bottom thing that you would bring as an offering for your child is a turtle dove or a pigeon, which you see here that Mary and Joseph are bringing. So economically speaking in the first century, they're, they're on, the, on the bottom kind of rung of income. And you absolutely do not need to know either of those two facts. You don't, you, but uh, I like facts and I like details and, and, um, and I, I, I do my best to keep them at a minimum for you so as not to bore you or make you feel like you're in school. But if you want all the others, come Wednesday night. See, that's how I hook you. And then we can talk about all the other stuff on Wednesday night. Uh, so there are two facts that actually have zero bearing on the rest of my sermon, but I like them and wanted to share them with you. So this is 33 days after Jesus was born and Mary and Joseph are apparently poor. Verse 25, now we get to the crux of it. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. You'll remember from last week that we pointed out that the word Christ just means anointed one. Uh, in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, it's... it's um, Wow, it just fell out of my head. Messiah, and Messiah means anointed. So Messiah and Christ both mean anointed. And so he, he's been told, Simeon's been told by the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't die before he saw the Lord's anointed one, the Savior. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for a revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel, or for the glory to your people, Israel. And so here's the situation. 
Simeon, an old man, we don't know how old, uh, is, is being guided by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has let him know, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. You're not going to die until you see the Christ, the anointed one. And so this is something that like he's waiting for. And when it says he was in the temple in the spirit, or it, when it says, uh, where did it go? Now there's a man in Jerusalem. Hold on, give me a second. Thank you. Thanks, George. And he came in the spirit into the temple. When he came in the spirit into the temple, sometimes when the Bible says he came in the spirit, sometimes it's like a vision that people are having. This is actually physically happening. Simeon at home one day, right? Doing whatever he's doing. I don't know. Playing Parcheesi, whatever it is. The spirit impresses upon him. You got to go to the temple. And he's on his way to the temple. Now, Simeon has been singularly focused on one thing looking for and waiting for the coming of the consolation of Israel, the peace of Israel, the Savior. Like, he's been told, you're not going to die until this happens, until you see the Savior. And the Spirit impresses upon him, go. Like, go to the temple today. And and so um, he gets to the temple, and he sees Mary and Joseph, and they have baby Jesus. And certainly this is not the only couple with their baby coming into the temple. If, If you had a daughter, you'd come in on the 66th day, and like, I mean, who knows, right? There's other people around. But something of the Holy Spirit who has laid upon him, you're not going to die until you've seen the Messiah. Something of the Holy Spirit that says, go to the temple today, also says to him, this is the kid. This is the Savior of the world. And it's a little strange, perhaps, that he walks up to Mary and Joseph and takes the baby out of their arms. And now he has him in his arms. And you, I don't know, like, Stranger danger probably comes to mind, you know, and kind of thing. He, he, takes, he takes the child into his arms. And listen to what he says. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Here's basically what he says. He takes their child into his arms and goes, now I can die a happy man. Kind of, kind of weird, you know, a little odd. Now I can die a happy man. Why? The Spirit's told him, you're not going to die until you've seen the Savior. And he by the Spirit, comes to the temple that day, by the Spirit, knows that this is Christ, holds him and says, now I can die. And then listen to the rest of his statement. For my eyes have seen your salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have rested on the one that you've sent to save. My eyes have rested on the one that you sent to be the Redeemer. My eyes have rested on the one that you promised that would come and rescue us and save us and redeem us. Now I can die a happy man. And it's an interesting thing, right? It's... It, One of the things that I'd like to point out, the Spirit's told him you're not going to die until you've seen the anointed one. The Spirit then leads him to uh, the temple. And and I've said twice already, and you're probably being really astute, and you're going, well, Ryan, you've said twice already that the Spirit is the one who said this is the Messiah, but the text doesn't say that. And you're right. I've said that twice, and the text doesn't say that. But here's what the text does say in the book of John. Here's what the text does say in the book of Ephesians. Here's what the text does say in the book of Romans. That the means by which we come to the place in our life where we declare, I believe Jesus is God, the way that that happens in our heart, the way that we come to the place where we say, I believe that Jesus is the Savior, is by the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit of God that tells us Jesus is the Savior. In fact, when the Bible says the only unforgivable sin is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it is because the Holy Spirit says Jesus is the Savior, and anybody who doesn't believe the Holy Spirit's word that Jesus is the Savior, that's blasphemy. The Holy Spirit's job, the Bible tells us in John 16, is to testify to who Jesus is, to show the world who Jesus is. And so when, when you and I have come to the place, whenever it was for you, 
last week or last year or 40 years ago, whenever you came to the place where you said, Jesus is God, that was the work of God in you. That was the Holy Spirit in you going, hey, listen, like he brought you to that place. <laughs> uh, he brought Simeon to the temple. I, I don't know what the place was for you. It was an apartment for me. Uh, ye old English apartments in Midland, Texas. There's a gas station there now. And um, I, I, I remember um, being at church that night and I might be confusing two stories, but I remember um, my mom telling me to shut up and be still and pay attention. I remember that. And I paid attention, and we got home that night, and I remember crawling into bed with her. I was young, and we were talking, and the pastor had said something. Our pastor, every, every week uh, at the church I grew up in was get saved, you need to get saved, you need to get saved. And so I heard that message every week growing up until I was about 10. And, and so I'm like, well, you know, I want to go to heaven. And my mom said, you know, well, like, hey, you need to put your faith in Jesus. You don't just, like, it's about faith in Jesus. And I was like, man, I, I want to do that, right? And I remember running downstairs where, uh, I, I think downstairs, that's the picture that I have in my head, but I at least remember running to where the laundry was in our apartment. And my dad was there in burgundy underwear. Uh, way too much information for you, but it's okay. Uh, and and I, remember, I remember telling him, like, I'm a Christian now. I've just gotten saved, you know? And, and so, like, hear me say this, like, Simeon, by the Spirit, was led to the temple, and then Simeon, by the Spirit, it was revealed to him, this is God. This is who the Savior is. And I, and I, don't, I don't know what that was like for you. I don't know when that happened for you, and it doesn't have to be as, you know, romantic and beautiful as my story was, uh, you know, uh, starting with your mom saying, shut up, and your dad in his underwear. It doesn't have to be that perfect, okay? But like, um, but, but the Spirit of God draws us and says, look, it's time. It's time for you to know. It's time for you to see. It's time for you to believe. And that's what's happened here with Simeon. It was time. And so Simeon says, Lord, now you're letting your servant die in peace. Depart in peace according to your word. Now listen to what he says. Look here at verse 33. And his father, that's Jesus' father and mother, that's Joseph and Mary. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, or a sign that is, uh, op yeah, opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. It's been an interesting month for Mary and Joseph. Uh, you know, 33 days ago, they, there was no room for them in, in any places, so they stayed in uh, essentially a, a cave uh, or uh, there's like an under part of a house so it just depends who you ask. But they stayed in a place where animals were supposed to stay. And Jesus, the Savior that had been promised to them, is born. They lay him in a feeding trough of, of animals. And shepherds show up and say, look, an angel appeared to us. We talked about that last week. An angel appeared to us and told us that the Savior had been born. And here we are. And now 33 days later, walking into the temple to have their son consecrated. And a man sweeps him up and says, man, now I can die happy. This is the consolation of Israel. This is salvation. I've seen it. It's been an interesting 33 days. But look at what happens next. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting with prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Check this out. You've got this woman named Anna. 
She's at least 84 years old. I say at least because the Bible says that she was married for seven years, then her husband died, and now she's 84, or she lived as a widow until she was 84. Another translation says that she's been a widow for 84 years. So she was married as a young woman and then married for seven years and then has been a widow for 84 years. So she's at least 84, maybe older than that. And she spends her time doing nothing but praying and fasting in and around the temple of God. And at this time, when Simeon grabs Christ and says, now I can die in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. At this time, she begins to testify of God's redemption of Israel. She's been, she's been singularly focused. She's been of a singular mind for, for uh, up to 84 years old and praying and fasting in the temple, looking for the redemption of God, looking for the salvation of God. And, and now here we have Simeon going, hey, I've seen it. I can die a happy man. And Anna's going, hey, this right here. Pay attention to this. See, both of them, our, our theology today, right, is Jesus is the eternal king. He's the savior king. This idea, the view that Simeon and the view that Anna had of, of Jesus was that he was the redeemer. The, the, the reason that I started where I started and the reason that I am here where I am now is, is their view wasn't, oh, look, a sweet little baby. Their view was, this is redemption. They're seeing a one-month-old child and seeing in his face the promise of God for salvation, for life, for righteousness, for holiness, for rescue from sin, for rescue from death. They're looking at this little face, and they're not looking at him going, man, you're going to grow up to do great things. They're looking at him saying, this is who you are. Jesus didn't become Redeemer. He was Redeemer. Jesus didn't become Savior. He was Savior. Jesus didn't become king. He was king. He didn't become God. He, didn't, he was all of those things from the moment that by God's power he was placed into Mary. He was all of those things from the moment he left heaven until we see him again. And to say until, he will, let me say it differently, he will still be those things when we see him face to face. There's no gap in that. And what I want us to recognize is that a lot of times in our 20th, 21st century kind of view growing up in, in the end of the, of the 20th century, it's really easy uh, to think about Jesus as you put together your manger scene and you put the little baby in there. It's really easy to think about him as a baby and it's really difficult for some reason to think about him as God. And yet that's who he is. He never quit being that. And you have Simeon who is waiting for that. He spent however long he spent from whatever, t I don't know if this is like, I don't know if this is a guy like ready to die and he's just going, oh man, like how much longer? I don't know. I don't know. I, I just know that he's told you're not going to die until you've seen the Savior. I don't know if that's an encouraging thing to him or a depressing thing to him. I have no idea, right? Um, but, but he sees Jesus and in that moment he's blessed and he says, man, I have beheld salvation Praise be to God. Thanks be to God. I can now die in peace. I have seen the salvation of Israel. Anna, who spent all of her time doing nothing but praying and fasting for this very moment, who's been proclaiming it, sees this happen at the same moment. And even if, she, even if she doesn't see this happen, at the same moment, all of this is unfolding, and she is proclaiming to whoever her audience is, whoever would bend an ear to her, this is the redemption. 
What would it be like if that was our view of Christ, even in this month, in this moment, in these coming weeks? Not, not like, hey, let me tell you about baby Jesus, but let me tell you about redemption. Let me tell you about salvation. Let me tell you about righteousness. Let me tell you about holiness. For he came. What if it was that? In Matthew chapter 2, there's another response to Jesus' coming. It'll be six months to two years later. And it is the response of the wise men. I told you a few weeks ago, when you set up your manger scene, put the wise men down the hall. Or get them out in July. Or in 2022. That would also be acceptable. These wise men, these men of the east, who traveled because they saw the star in the sky, and they came all the way here, and they get to Jerusalem, and they say, look, we're here to worship the king. Where is he? Where is the one who has been born the king? And Herod, who is the king at this point, kind of over Jerusalem, he's kind of the ruler over Jerusalem. Herod does not like hearing this. And they ask, they ask the, the, the scribes and, the, and, and they ask the people of the law, like the priest, like, where's, the, where's he supposed to be born? Where's the king supposed to be born? And they're told he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so the wise men, this is Matthew 2 in case I didn't say that, the wise men go to Bethlehem to search out the king. How do we know it's about six months to two years? Well, Herod hears about this, that, that the king is going to be born in Bethlehem, and he commands that every male child two years and un under be put to death in Bethlehem based on when, he, when the wise men said the star appeared. So he's kind, of, he's kind of going, man, we don't know what the window is. We don't know how old this baby is, but he could be anywhere from a few months old to two years old. He goes, just kill every kid two years and under in Bethlehem. Just kill them all. Why? So here are two things, okay? By the way, we don't know that there are just three wise men. Uh, if you want to go and buy more wise men and add them to your deal, that's fine. You know, all the wise men, it says all the wise men of the East. I've got to think that there's more than just three, you know, like all the wise men of the East show up. Uh, if you want to know, here's another little interesting tidbit. If you want to know why the wise men are showing up, it's probably because of Daniel, in the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel was a slave in Babylon, and Daniel rose to power. He was, he was a Jew who became, came to power in Babylon, and Daniel became the chief of all the wise men in Babylon. And Daniel prophesied of the coming Savior in Daniel chapter 7, and D Daniel talked about how redemption was coming, like it was something that Daniel knew. So if you want to know how do these pagans, how do these people who bow down to idols come to know about the king that was going to be born, probably Daniel 500 years earlier. And now they're showing up. And they're like, man, it's time for the king to be born. And they show up with offerings for him. Their view, hear this, their view isn't that they are seeking a baby. Their view is we are seeking the king. That's their view. We are looking for the king. It's also Herod's view. He just has a terribly negative response to it. Herod is so certain that this king has been born, he makes a command, he issues a command that all the male children be put to death. He's so positive that the, that the, the prophecies have come true. He's so positive that this is real that he seeks to put the king to death. Hear this, okay? Simeon and Anna, they say, here's salvation, here's redemption. The wise men and Herod say, here's the king. Both, both together make the correct view of Jesus in this holiday season. He is the Savior King. He is the Redemption King. He is the Redeemer King. He is the Savior King. He is both of those things. When, when we talk about the view we're supposed to have of Christ, by the way, not just at Christmas season, but year-round, this is the view we're to have of him. He's Savior King. He is God Most High, stepping out of heaven into earth uh, and, and, and 
setting aside some of his glory based on John 17, where Jesus says, restore to me the, the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world, but not setting aside his power because the Bible says that the fullness of God, the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus in bodily form. And yet here he is, fullness of God, and Simeon and Anna say, look, this is the redeemer, this is redemption, this is salvation. And the wise men in Herod said, this is the king. So what does that leave us with? Here's our application. We serve, or we must serve, rather, that Christ, the Savior King. What does it look like? What does it look like for us to be people who serve the Savior King? What does it look like to be people whose mindset isn't bent on self or isn't bent on, on some uh, uh, misunderstanding of the person of God? But what does it look like for us to say that my life is about Jesus, the Savior King? I'll give you an example of what it's not. I woke up at 3.45 this morning, as I sometimes do. Uh, usually it's just that I can't go to sleep, but this morning I woke up at 3.45, and what kept me awake is the other voice in my head. I lovingly call him the crybaby. Uh, the, I've called him that since college. Um, and, uh, and so the, the crybaby at 3.45 says, you know what, you're kind of a failure at everything, aren't you? And I'm like, you know, like... I don't know. What do you mean? And he's like, you're a really bad preacher. <laughs> and are you seriously still trying this art thing? Like, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to be an artist for real at 45? Like, dude, you're going to bomb so badly and your family's going to starve to death. Like, that's how desperate it gets right in my head. Like, you're not, you're not going to be able to make enough money this next year. Like, you got lucky this year. But next year, like, you're, you're going to starve to death. And then you're a terrible husband. When's the last time you even prayed with your wife? Like, I mean, do you even believe in prayer? And man, your kids, like, do you think about what a terrible father you are? This is my four o'clock crybaby voice, and he is not okay. He has not been okay for a long time. The difference is that normally I can shut him up a little bit, you know? I couldn't shut him up when I was in college, but now I can shut him up a little bit. So all these things come into my mind, and it leaves me there awake, and I'm awake until church this morning because I can't shake it. Let me ask you a question. In that moment, are my thoughts, are my beliefs being shaped more by Ryan or by the Savior King I serve? The answer should be painfully obvious. In those moments, my thoughts are being more shaped by Ryan, my expectations. My thoughts are being more shaped by what I think about myself as failure or success. See, the moment we say I'm not enough, the moment we say that I'm not good enough, we have a standard in our mind, right? Here's what it would look like to be a successful preacher. Here's what it would look like to be a successful artist. Here's what it would look like to be a good husband or a good father. Here's what it would look like to excel in this or that. And there's this something in us that says, uh, maybe not all of us, but there's something in us that, that's broken that says, I need to be better. I need to be more. And it's a very self-centered view of life. And yet, if we think rightly that my life is for the Savior King, the other stuff melts away. It, it, it's really irrelevant. Hear me say this. It is really irrelevant if anyone ever considers me successful in anything I do. That's really irrelevant. Because one day I will stand before the living God of the universe and he will call me son and he will call me holy and he will call me beloved and he will call me righteous, not based off of my performance, but based on my faith in him. 
it's really irrelevant if I have enough money to take my wife on an anniversary trip or if we're eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and not on the good bread, like the, you know, day old bread that you can buy at the store for like 30 cents. Have you ever done that, right? Eating the rotten bananas at the supermarket. I've told you that story before. Five pounds of bananas for 89 cents. Live off of those for a few days. They're all brown. That's really irrelevant. It's really irrelevant how full my stomach is or how new my clothes are. It's really irrelevant, honestly, if you like me or if you don't. And it's, in fact, irrelevant whether or not I like me or don't. Because there will be days I don't like me. And there will be days you don't like me. And there will be days that we're not as well fed as others. And there will be days that I don't sleep as well as others. And there will be days that my health is good. And there will be days that my health is bad. And those things will come and those things will go. And maybe I'll have a million dollars in my bank account one day. And maybe I'll have nothing in my bank account one day. And if my life is determined, if my emotions are determined by my comfort level, then I have forgotten that my life is actually supposed to be about the Savior King. And so I take those moments, like at four in the morning, and there's Crybaby. The other voice you would hope would be Ryan. It's not. I've named him Ruperto. <laughs> Some of you are never coming back. Some of you are going to come back just because, because you want to know if Ruperto is also a preacher. He's not. <laughs> but the other voice in my head is Ruperto. Uh, Ryan's just the neutral ground, right? It's just they're just fighting over who can win, you know, and, or fighting to see who can win. And Ruperto goes, man, you're so stupid. <laughs> like, quit. Like, you're okay. Put your confidence in God. Remind, and it reminds me of what's true. Reminds me of what's true. Where's your hope? I knew at 345 in the morning that I was about to get up and preach this message to you, that we serve a Savior King. And the question became for me at 4 in the morning, do you believe it or are you just saying it? And the, the truth of the matter is I believe it. But, but here's, here's, maybe, here's maybe a better question. I, I feel like with most of us, if we went and had lunch together and I said, do you believe that Jesus is the Savior King? I, I feel like most of you would say yes. I don't know most of you well enough to know for sure, but, but probably you would say yes, I believe Jesus is Savior King. But, but the question then becomes, but do we yearn for him? Do we long for him like Simeon did? Do we, do we have a single-minded focus like Anna did? Are, are we driven to pursue him like the wise men were? And not that we should have the same response that Herod did, but are we as certain that Christ is king as Herod was? See, there's a big difference in saying, I believe Jesus is God, I believe Jesus is the Savior, and having that shape who we are, having that shape what we do. Like, it it should impact those of you who are students. It should impact the kind of student you are, the kind of child you are to your parents. It should change parents, the kind of parents you are to your kids. It should change your goals and your ambitions and work. You want to be rich? Great, be rich. But do so with the mindset that Christ is Savior King. You want to be excellent at athletics? You want to be excellent? You want to, you want to be the best at something? Okay, that's fine. But let that be the periphery. Let that be the background. And let the forefront be, I'm doing this for Christ the King. And the moment it's not about Christ the King, reevaluate 
your intentions. Because Simeon had one goal. I want to see the redemption. I I wonder how many of us wake up with that. Let, Let me ask you this question, and I don't expect you to answer me, but you can answer in your own heart and your own mind. Have you ever gone to church because it was just what you were supposed to do? I'm a preacher for crying out loud. I've been in church my entire life, and there have been times in 25 years of preaching that I've just preached because it was what I was supposed to do. I wonder, I wonder what it would be like if, if none of us, not one of us, came here because we were supposed to, but every one of us came here because we had the expectation that we serve Christ the Savior King. We have this expectation that when we meet here together, we aren't just, you're not just listening to me. I don't know if you've caught this or not. You're not just listening to me. But when we're singing to each other, we are proclaiming to each other. You are preaching to one another. This is the God we serve. You are declaring of yourself and of your family and of your your heart and your pursuits. This is the king that I know. This is the king that I love. This is the king that I serve. And I wonder, what would it be like? And I'm not saying you're not singing it with the right heart. I don't know. I'm just telling you I've been there with my heart disconnected from it, been in a spiritual doldrum, been in a place where I just felt dry and empty, where I thought about Jesus as a baby, but I forgot him as God. And I just wonder what would it be like if every week that we came in here, we came in here with this in mind. I am here like Simeon seeking the redemption. I am here like Anna to declare that this is my redemption, that this is the Savior. I am here like the wise man having made a trek through the week to be at this place so that we can declare to one another. I am as convinced as Herod that this is the king that we serve. What what would it be like if we came together with that? Don't tell me it wouldn't be a little bit different. Don't tell me it wouldn't be a little more full, a little more rich. Don't tell me that those of us who came in after having been beaten up for 167 hours since we left here last week wouldn't come in and leave just a little bit more refreshed if we said, this is why I'm here. I'm here for the Savior King. What, what, if, what if you quit looking at this as something, and I'm, again, I don't know that you are. I'm just throwing it out there. What if we quit looking at this as something that Micah and Ryan and Pierce did for you guys, and what if we looked at it as this is what we were doing for one another? We are declaring to one another, this is the God that I serve. This is redemption. This is salvation. This is life. This is the king. What would it be like What would you be like as a parent or a grandparent or a child if that was the thing that that lived inside your head and ruled your steps? Don't tell me it wouldn't be a little bit better. It would absolutely be better. We must serve Christ, the Savior King. He's our Savior. He's our King. We must be convinced of it. It must be driven into our hearts. And then we'll end with this. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever put faith in Jesus. I, I, I need you to know this. I need you to understand this. That it's not your works that are going to save you. It's not your works that are going to make you righteous. It's not how many times you've attended church or how you dress when you go to church or how you sing the songs. We aren't saved by anything that we do. Quit trying to earn it. Quit trying to win God's favor and just come to him through faith. The Bible says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is God's gift to you. It's his gift to you. You don't have to earn it. You just got to believe that he's done it. 
You have to believe that God is so good and so gracious and so powerful that what he supplied in Jesus, what Simeon says about Jesus, that he is salvation, what Anna says about Jesus, that this is redemption, what the wise men said about Jesus, this is the king, that what they said about him is true. You've got to believe that salvation does not lie in you or in me or in this building or in the programs that we do, that salvation rests in Christ alone and that what God has supplied is sufficient to make you holy and to make you loved and to make you chosen and to make you be loved and to make you uh, righteous in his sight and to like it, it is enough it's enough you have everything you need the bible tells us for life and for godliness through the precious promises of god that have been given to us through jesus christ that's from peter if you're in here today and you have never put your faith in Jesus, have never come to the place where you've said, man, I need Jesus to save me. I need something outside myself. Then the Bible says it this way. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. In other words, like the Holy Spirit said to Simeon, and he said, go, go to the temple today. Maybe today you're going, man, I need Jesus. Don't ignore that. Do not ignore that. That is the spirit of God talking to you. It's not me. I can't make you want Jesus. <laughs> and if you're in here today and you're like, man, I, I have Jesus and I love Jesus, but somewhere in the busyness of my life, I've let Jesus slip into the periphery. I've let Jesus become a blur in the background. I've let Jesus become the baby laying in the manger instead of being God. If you're in here today and that's you, you're one of those Christians who just, you just kind of fell into it. You're just tired. You're worn out. You can't find your peace anymore or your encouragement anymore. You just feel like every day is the same thing, drudgery after drudgery after drudgery. And, and maybe just now in these last 35 minutes, a spark, a little flint spark, and you said, man, I just I want to be excited about Jesus again. And, and maybe it's just like just kind of like starting up in you again. Don't let that go. Don't, don't lose that. Hang on to that. Be stirred up again. Be passionate again. Be like Simeon. Be like Anna. Be, be like the wise men and say, listen, like, this is my singular focus. Jesus, you are my singular focus. You are my Savior and my King. As we move into our time of prayer, let me pray for you first. Let me just ask that God would remind us who Jesus is. Our prayer today is, God, help us to recognize Jesus as Savior, King, and God. Lord God, we do come before you today, not with any righteousness of our own, not with any merit of our own, but we come before you today because you are good and you are gracious and you have made a way for us to come before you. We get to stand in your presence because of Jesus, not because of us. And it wasn't just a baby laid in a manger that grew up to become God, it was God himself you, powerful, full of glory, full of divine power, full of everything for life and godliness. You, Jesus, are God, Savior, King, holy and righteous. We thank you, God, that we can come into this place and that we can worship together. What freedom we have, what liberty we have to do that. God, some of us are just, honestly, we're just tired. We're tired of work, we're tired of 2020, we're tired of hurt, we're tired of loss, we're tired of suffering, we're weary. We don't know how to get a foothold, we don't know how to gain any traction. We've lost sight of what matters. 
And I pray, God, that this morning that you would cause us to have the steadfastness of Simeon, the discipline of Anna, and the willingness to pursue you like the wise men. And yes, God, even the conviction of Herod that Jesus is king. Take a moment right where you are this morning and just pray this. God, help me. Pray, make it personal. God, help me to recognize that Jesus is Savior. This isn't saying you're not a Christian. Maybe you've been a Christian for years, but sometimes we lose sight of Jesus as our Savior. Take a moment and ask God that, was, that God would remind you that Jesus is Savior. who is our Savior, who is our Redeemer, who washes away our sins, who overthrows the power of death, who gives us life. Thank you, God, that this isn't something we've had to earn. This isn't something we have to do on our own, but this is by your grace and your mercy and your power and your provision. And we thank you, God, that we aren't temporarily saved or almost saved, but that we are saved to the uttermost, saved completely, saved wholly and totally. Now there is no fear of condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Continuing in prayer, would you pray that God would remind you that Jesus is King, that he is our King? God, we thank you for the king that you've given us in Jesus, the king who reigns upon the throne eternal, whose kingdom will never end, that you have elevated to power. You've placed him over all other kingdoms, all over all other authorities. And God, we recognize that because he is king, we are his servants. We're not king. We're servants to the king. Let that be our heart. Let that be our goal, our ambition that in all that we do, we would proclaim and point to and exalt the true King, Jesus Christ, who sits upon his throne. As we continue in prayer, would you just ask that in this holiday season that God would remind you that Jesus is God? Not a baby by himself, not impotent, not without power, but God, maker and creator, sustainer of all things. Ask God to remind you that Jesus is also God. God. 